gonna tell me what she said? Listening to Lost in Twin Peaks, a podcast for both first time and veteran viewers of Twin Peaks, the mystery series that ran for two seasons in the early 90s on ABC, followed by a feature film, and 25 years later, a limited series on Showtime. And at the time of this recording, who knows what after that? If you're a new listener who has just discovered this podcast and wants to know more, check out Episode Zero Show Format. The following week of daily podcasts will cover Part 12, an episode of Season 3 aired on Showtime in 2017. The network used lines from each episode for titles, so Part 12 was known as Let's Rock. Although recorded for patrons back in 2018, I am re-editing and re-presenting this coverage, including some new sections, for public release on November 19th, 2022. You can also explore the illustrated companion published on my site, lostinmovies.com, this morning. It goes up at 8am if you're listening to this earlier than that. The link in the show notes will be active then. This illustrated companion incorporates screenshots and other images to reflect stories, characters, events from the time, and so forth, in some cases in greater detail than the podcast themselves. Here's the other podcast work that I've published in the past week, just for a quick update. This past week, the only podcast I put up was for Twin Peaks Cinema. It was an episode on The Vanishing, a Dutch thriller with some fascinating connections to Twin Peaks. So I discussed that in one of my longer episodes for that podcast. And that'll be linked below, of course. Today's podcast discusses Laura Palmer's presence in the episode, the feel of the episode, and the structure of the episode. title of this episode, which Showtime listed as Let's Rock, and the opening scene where Tammy is incorporated into the Blue Rose Mysteries, and Diane is incorporated in her own way, and 
there's that big moment where the music builds and she says, let's rock, you know, the actual title that they used. And just Showtime's general hype around this episode, the fact that they kept hinting this was going to be a big one, maybe as big as part eight. People really thought that we were going to be in for something big. And when they got something quieter and more confusing and stranger and a little more alienating, I think... It was considered a disappointment at the time by many. I always kind of liked it more than most, but I definitely wouldn't have considered it one of my favorite episodes. I think rewatching it tonight, though, I really, really liked it. And uh, I, th- I think, I don't know if I'd say it's one of the strongest or whatever, but I just was really absorbed watching it, and I felt it had a very strong presence. As far as Laura Palmer goes, the last section we always talk about this week, there is quite a bit to talk about with her this week, even though I don't think she's ever mentioned And we certainly never see an image of her, except, of course, in the opening credits, as we always do. But whenever Sarah Palmer's present, Laura's there as well. And the scene where she kind of has the breakdown in the grocery store is very reminiscent of her her scene with Laura in The Missing Pieces, where Laura has to comfort her and she says, it's happening again, it's happening again. And in the script for Firewalk With Me, that line was actually written as... Um, I'm having another breakdown or something. Like, she was much more explicit about the fact that she was having a a kind of mental health crisis. But, of course, they changed it to the more poetic, resonant line of uh, it's happening again, which recalls the giants. It says the same thing, but in a more sort of ambiguous way. And so I do think that what we're seeing here, you know, this is something that is rooted in the scenes between Sarah and Laura, many of which we didn't get to see until the missing pieces. I already mentioned the turkey and the corn motif. And the cashier is a blonde. She has a very similar hairstyle to Laura. There's all these kind of triggers around that could remind Sarah of Laura, as well as whatever her own childhood trauma was, too. We get Laura's theme playing as Hawk pulls up to the Palmer house. That's just a moment, an eerie moment, in an episode that doesn't have that much music. And in a season that has not dwelt too much on Laura or Firewalk with me. It's always there. There's always, it's always touching on it. It underpins a lot of it. It's not an atmosphere we dwell on much. We don't really fixate on that atmosphere much. The after effects are there. Um, and that's actually an interesting point, I think, to make, and that this episode brings to the forefront, is in the original series, Laura's tragedy was so recent, so raw, and so fresh that it, like, haunted, it charged everything. Like, you couldn't get away from it if you wanted to. And even when they did try to in the second half of season two, it was like, no, no, it's still there, it's still too immediate. But in this season, it isn't. It's 25 years in the past, and the fact that it still does feel significant and unresolved and kind of aching and haunted almost has more of a of a frustrated bitter edge because it is so far in the past that now it it is irretrievable if there was a chance at some point of these characters understanding and and entering into that experience and somehow um, making their peace or or dealing with it that chance has now slipped away and yet they are they are still haunted by it and that's kind of the tragedy in particular of Sarah Palmer nobody more than her but it kind of ripples out over the whole community as well it's like something was never quite fixed back in the day and now it never can be this is a spooky episode it's also very silent and still Um, there's almost something Edgar Allan Poe-ish about it I don't know and despite some memorable music moments there's not much music at all in this episode you know that really is when I say silent like there's long stretches where nobody's even really talking or if there's talking they're talking there's not much ambiance there's no real sound effects there's just a kind of uh, quality to it where 
Uh, it's like a malaise almost, I don't know. There's also a lot of little scenes of humanity. It's a very anecdotal type of storytelling throughout this episode. Even the one Cooper scene we get is a total non sequitur. And there's a lot of little scenes like that, just these little standalone scenes. They're usually part of another story. I don't think there's really actually that many standalone scenes in the episode that don't relate to something else. But in and of themselves, they usually just show one or two things and let us kind of meditate on it. This is also a very female episode, which is in sharp contrast to the rest of the season. This is more, generally, season three is a more male-dominated version of Twin Peaks, particularly compared to Firewalk With Me, but even compared to seasons one and two. It's probably no coincidence that this is Cooper's least screen time of the, the whole series, let alone the season. He's only in one scene, and that's obviously because they were contractually obligated to say starring Kyle McLaughlin in the credits, so they had to find a way to sneak him in, even though it doesn't make any chronological sense. But between Tammy getting incorporated into the Blue Rose case and then Diane being brought in and deputized, and then all of these scenes we get with Diane alone, I think that's the important thing. You know, that first scene is a woman being brought into this previously all-male world, but so many other scenes in it are more focused on women on their own. We see these scenes of Diane texting. She is texting with Mr. C, so there's still that presence, but it's kind of mediated by the phone, and we see her trying to kind of deal with it and figure out what she's doing, in a sense. The scenes with Sarah uh, have that, that kind of presence of, like, this is a side of Twin Peaks that hasn't really been part of the story so far, but it's it's there. It's haunting it all along. And, of course, that's connected to Laura. We even get a scene of Miriam alone in the hospital bed, uh, which has a certain plot function. It shows us, okay, she survived, she's in the hospital. But, of course, Ben says this in a subsequent scene, so we don't need to see her. The fact that he actually takes the time to show her creates this sense that Lynch is interested in her more than just as a plot function, just as a way to, you know, get Richard on the run or whatever. There's actually some sort of empathy for her suffering there. Even the scene where we have Truman and Ben talking amongst each other, these two patriarchs of the town, they're talking about a young man's violence against a woman and a child. And, uh, of course you know, talking about the the female presence in this episode, this is the Audrey episode. This is where that character, one of the most beloved characters of Twin Peaks, who people have been impatiently waiting to see for 11 hours, finally makes her appearance. The overall structure of this episode, as I said, it's uh, fairly anecdotal, fairly episodic. Unlike uh, the previous part 11, there's no real sense of like, a story through line going through a big chunk of the episode. For the most part, it's these little fragments. That said, there is an interesting little structure to it where it's moving from a very straightforward expositionary scene to almost unfathomable abstraction. And yet both are based in dialogue. That first scene where Albert explains the blue rose, he breaks it all down in easily understandable chunks for Tammy. And then that last scene where these two characters we don't know are talking about people we don't know in a situation we don't know. And we've just witnessed the whole Audrey thing just, you know, a few scenes before. So we're already in a confused state of mind. And this reminds me of part seven where you have a very plot-heavy expositional episode and then it ends in these weird scenes at the roadhouse where they're sweeping and then in the diner where the guy runs in. There's a similar sort of structure at work here. I think Lynch likes beginning with something straightforward and explanatory and ending with something mystifying. Throughout the episode, it's punctuated by many uh, scenes. Although it has many dialogue-driven scenes, it's punctuated by many that don't have dialogues, like Jerry running out of the woods, 
Cooper playing catch or the French woman taking forever to make herself up as Albert just sits there, gets frustrated. All of these scenes where nothing is being said and yet there's quite a few scenes where so much is being said. And I'm not sure those are any more comprehensible, if, if anything, probably less comprehensible. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And you can also become a patron at patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. Tomorrow's episode will look at the events of Season 3, Part 12, that take place outside of the town of Twin Peaks. And uh, after that, we'll look at Twin Peaks. But for tomorrow, Las Vegas, um, briefly. <laughs> and uh, also, of course, South Dakota. 